Welcome to the Utah Episcopalians, a podcast of the Diocese of Utah, reflecting our Episcopal Church in this unique land of Utah. I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese, and today we have a topic that has divided our nation, has divided people. It's probably one of the most passionate topics that um, is being discussed in American homes today. It's a topic of some people are frustrated, some are angry, and they all have different viewpoints, different uh, places that they see themselves in this discussion. That discussion is immigration. And we have, what can the church be doing? What can you do as a Christian? What can you do as an Episcopalian or listening if you're not an Episcopalian? And of course, to discuss this, we have some very, um, I think, fascinating guests who can really offer this discussion. The Right Reverend Scott B. Hayashi, the Bishop of Utah, who has, who speaks also as a person of the church, but also has as a personal um, discussions in front of the legislature, made statements as a person and as a bishop representing the church. We also have the Reverend Canon Dr. Pablo Ramos, who is a priest at St. Stephen's, San Esteban, who has seen this um, immigration policy firsthand, has had people in the congregation in the beautiful church in West Valley City, Utah, has seen people affected by immigration policies. So with all that in mind, this is the issue. It's the most emotional issue perhaps today in our country. It's going to define probably our presidential election and other elections. And let's start with Bishop uh, Scott B. Hayashi, Bishop of Utah. What is the church's position uh, both as a diocese and as a wider church on what we call immigration. And I think we can be very honest here. When we use the word immigration, so much of the policy is concerning those who live south of the United States coming into. You know, I grew up on a border town in uh, the northern border of Canada. It's not even discussed. You never even talk about immigration and who's going back and forth. We're talking basically those who are south of our country coming across the border or perhaps those that are coming from some countries that have been widely identified. What is the church position? The, the church historically has <clears throat> um, taken a strong stance regarding immigration and human rights. Uh, and I'm very proud of that, that the Episcopal Church um, has done this. And as the bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Utah, I um, am so happy that my church has responded, you know, in the ways that we have. I, I think it's important, um, before we get into what actions the Episcopal Church has taken, to uh, clear something up regarding the people who come from south of the um, the border, so to speak, of the United States of America. And that is that I believe there's a misconception in the minds of many people that everyone who comes across the border must be from Mexico. Um, and actually, the vast majority of the people that, we, that are coming across right now are from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Um, and they're coming through Mexico. That's true, geographically speaking. But I think there's a fundamental misconception that they must all be from Mexico because they speak Spanish, as if the only people in the world that speak Spanish are, are from Mexico. And so <clears throat> I think it's important for that to be understood because there, there is a wide um, misunderstanding. And I think um, 
when we we have that misunderstanding that we and we lump everybody together um, it just makes it easier to um, dehumanize and objectify um, these people and not see them um, you know as people who have various cultural leanings and so forth so i think it's important for us to understand that the general convention of the episcopal church which is the governing um, authority for the Episcopal Church throughout its years um, has taken stances regarding moratoriums, stopping of uh, stopping the practice of roadside checkpoints. This was all done back in 2009, urging the the Congress, of the United States, to pass meaningful immigration reform, um, called upon the protections and hopefully a pass for citizenship citizenship for those from Guatemala who are residing in the United States of America. Um, and to support the maintaining and keeping together of families. Um, specifically in 2015, um, we passed a resolution um, designed to keep families together as outlined by the Deferred Action for Child Arrivals, DACA, and the Deferred Action for Parental Accountability. These are things that the stances the Episcopal Church has taken, along with trying to educate people about what the rights of the people are. The Episcopal Church has not been silent on this. They have spoken with one voice through the General Convention. So as an Episcopalian, I can say this is not simply my opinion as the Bishop of the Diocese of Utah, but it is the opinion of the Episcopal Church. In fact, the presiding Bishop of the Episcopal Church, Michael Curry, um, went so far as to say that welcoming the alien, the visitor, is sacred duty. He even went so far as to call it a sacred vow. Now that isn't just resolution. And and we do have those resolutions that you talk about and certainly on the diocesan level too. But he has gone so far as to call it a sacred vow. And I think that's um, that's really says something. And you did state uh, eloquently that um, we, we lump these folks together. We're lumping human beings from various countries, some seeking asylum, some a better life. And we, we talk in numbers, we talk in waves. The popular word is caravan. Pablo, you know, you have seen not just names as far as like lumping together, you have seen people that have been affected by this. Really in West Valley City, in the state of Utah, have you seen families torn apart by what the immigration issues have been? Have you seen on a personal basis this sort of um, activity? And perhaps even if I could ask you, um, have you felt itself a, a change in how people have viewed you as somebody who is an immigrant to this country? Uh, yes, I have seen these um, situations in uh, West Valley, particularly at uh, San Esteban. Uh, 20, 25 years ago, uh, immigration was very different. People can come and go to their uh, country of origin. And uh, the main goal was to make money to build a little house or a little business, uh, whether it's in Mexico or, or Honduras. Uh, with the immigration laws getting harder and harder, returning to uh, one's country of origin uh, became impossible. So people start uh, bringing their own families, children, uh, spouses, and uh, 
that changed the face of the immigrant and the immigration. Uh, people uh, pointing fingers are, you are an expense to this country and you are not contributing at all to the life of this, of this country. In 2006, I believe, uh, I was, I live in Rose Park area, uh, was driving my car and there were some four people uh, with signs that says, go back to your country. So this go back to your country is not, it's not, new it's not a new thing. Uh, I am a, an American citizen, but I think now what, what uh, makes you an American citizen is the color of your skin or the way that, that you look. The fear, the frustration, and the internalized oppression is uh, difficult to deal with with all these families. In, in in the country. It's amazing to see, and you mentioned that um, the reason folks came here years ago, uh, you said to start a business, the Office of Government Relations of the Episcopal Church has put together some facts and figures and say that refugees, now we're talking those that have come and sought a better life as a refugee, are twice as likely to start a business as a U.S. born person. Mm -hmm. And that uh, refugees, and we're talking again, that's part of this whole immigration discussion, contributed $63 billion more in federal taxes than they received in government programs and resettlement programs. So um, the facts, but this is more than facts. This is emotions. Mm -hmm. Now, people, when we speak of emotions, are talking about, uh, we know the statements. We know the go back is one of the new things. Go back to your country, the chance. Go back to your countries. It is emotional. What can frustrated, angry people do in your congregation, of which you have a great mixture of people, U.S. born, of immigrants, Bishop, you have seen in all of our dioceses and in your discussions at the state legislature, your discussions as part of going back to the Utah Compact and things like this. People are frustrated. Yeah. People are angry. And they're angry on different sides. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see rallies where people are angry on one side. We see people angry on the other side. What can we do to just break this divide down? Because that I, I has think to you're be leaving done. Out, Trig, I think you're leaving out one very important word um, here. You know, um, angry and frustrated, most certainly. Frightened, to me, is, is the larger okay. uh, word. Okay, I agree. Because if we're talking about people who uh, are viewed as the so-called outsiders, uh, then there is a great deal of fright um, not just frustration and anger, but just being scared. How can that be addressed or what can be done to help that? And it even goes deeper, doesn't it, Bishop, where you have people that are frightened that are that perhaps uh, Canon Ronalds talk about, but you have people at rallies who are frightened that caravans are coming to take them over, too. Yes. So that word fright works on all sides. So maybe we could start there with that word fright. I, I think uh, what we can do is to inform people, you know, mm -hmm. to not to react to angry statements, and that's difficult. But if we respond with, with facts and, and uh, not anger, and um, 
I think that's a step forward, uh, and that's what we could we could do. You know, having in our congregations fact sheets about immigration when you just hand it over and you go home read it. You may agree or disagree, but at least we are giving people the chance to inform uh, where we stand in, on immigration. You made a statement, uh, <coughs> Bishop, a um, uh, little over a week ago that you said we cannot succumb to the divide that is happening between our neighbors. It's great to say what can we do to make that work that we don't succumb to that divide because I know um, it's just hard. You, you go to the store, you're standing in line, and people start talking about that. You hear people at restaurants overhearing tables. It's the discussion. You wisely said we can't succumb to that divide. What can we do? What is your toolkit that makes us so we don't succumb to that divide and we have those conversations that we can actually look at the facts and figures? One of the most uh, uh, wise things I could say is if one is going to engage, choose the right time to engage and be thoughtful before one does that. Understanding, most of all, that really if for people who are angry because they are worried about the United States of America becoming uh, more um, diversified, they have a vision of the United States of America which harks back to 1950 uh, when um, Ozzie and Harriet and all these other um, groups are held up as the typical American family. Then for those, for people like that, many times facts aren't going to be terribly helpful for them because all facts do is tell them they're wrong. Um, and so the quoting, quoting of facts to them really is not the best course in those conversations. In those conversations, it would be good, frankly, to simply listen to what's being said to elicit from them the fact that, you know, they are very much concerned because then we can deal on a human level. Uh, for people who are um, on the other side, the call that I would say that we all have, frankly, because I, I obviously am on the side of doing all that we can to be open and welcoming and receiving um, of people, it is to not lose sight of the fundamental dignity and worth of the other person period, uh, as opposed to objectifying the other person and seeing that person as somehow the enemy, um, the threat, but rather the other person as a human person. And then to be able to offer, because that's actually part of being an Episcopalian, to seek and serve Christ in all persons and to love our neighbor as herself and to strive for justice and peace and respect the dignity of every human being. Um, and ultimately, therefore, I think what's so important about um, St. Stephen's and San Esteban and West Valley City and, and the work of uh, Pablo Ramos there, Canon Ramos, is the fact that if anything is helpful in my experience, it's relationships, people getting to know each other, uh, regardless on which side one might, one might be on, in order that through those relationships, one can say to another person, well, I happen to know Anglos very well and our friends, and I don't think a person saying something against an Anglo, and I don't think that's true of all people who are Anglo. In the same way, for people who are Anglo, who are hearing statements from their friends or neighbors or relatives, um, which are which are frankly racist statements, to be able to say, well, I'm sorry, but I don't agree. 
Um, I happen to be in a church with with others who are um, who are who are not who are not necessarily born in the U.S. And you know, there are people just like me and you. Um, and that I think is one of the most important things that we can do during this period of time to not succumb to remember uh, who we are and remember that God is the one who made us um, and and that and to not lose sight of that so if God made me and loves me then God loves that other person as well you're listening to the Utah Podcopalians a podcast of the Diocese of Utah that reflects our church the Episcopal Church in this unique land of Utah and you have just made some statements that um, it really kind of comes down to maybe something I can ask uh, uh, Canon Ramos, and that is how important is the role of the church? You um, know and deal and have quite a few wonderful people in your congregation who are personally affected by what's going on in immigration, will be affected by policy, is they look at their lives as you look at your lives as their pastor, as their priest, as their uh, person giving that advice that we know uh, is religious. In fact, the presiding bishop again reminded us that welcoming the stranger is welcoming me, quoting that that is what Jesus would say, welcome the stranger and you welcome me. How important is the role of the church in the congregation, in the lives of the people that attend your church? I, I believe it's very important. And perhaps I may say um, is the only peace that sustain uh, families together. They find a place of peace, a place when they, can, uh, they feel secure, they don't feel persecuted. And uh, through the, the communion services of the Mass, they connect with the relatives that are back again in their country of origin. So they are uh, looking for Sunday to, to have that moment of, of peace, uh, of prayer. But also they know that they can count with, with uh, the church at large, you know. Uh, in many ways, the priest is not only the spiritual leader. Uh, many times we end in uh, looking for an immigration attorney, uh, giving some, uh, no legal advice, but opinions <laughs> about these or that. And uh, we have to keep us informed about the situation. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 th I really believe and I see this, that our church is the number one place when they feel secure. Is there fear at the church? I know it is not a sanctuary that, and, and we can maybe even get into that, that the United States laws are very different than I think a lot of people understand as sanctuary. Do, is there ever a fear that um, there will be ice or people show up at the church at a funeral? It's something that's wider. I mean, or does the church still feel very secure and peaceful? I think that they feel that church is still very secure and, and peaceful uh, place. Uh, people undocumented live with that fear 24-7, you know. They are expecting ICE to show home, work, and a traffic stop anywhere. So 
that, that that is the main difference. They they don't they just still see the church as a safe. Do we see any change with our brothers and sisters that are as you U.S. citizens and have been for a long time? Is there been a change in how others perhaps look at them with the uh, rhetoric that's going around? Yeah, as I mentioned, the idea that being an American is yeah. now the way that physically you look, the color of your of your skin. So it doesn't matter that I have my American passport or whatever. Uh, I have to prove myself that I am an American, an American citizen. Fear is is, is part of the immigration uh, uh, situation in the country, but it has so many repercussions. I have a parishioner that uh, uh, works on Sundays in an open swat meet on Redwood Road. And as you know, uh, the president did announce that this Sunday will start the raids. And he told me that by 7 a.m. there are usually 100 uh, people ready to start selling. And on Sunday there were only 20 by 7 p.m. He usually says sells like $1,000 by 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And he told me uh, I just sold $300. Hmm. So that have a repercussion on how he's going to pay the bills, bring food to the family. Uh, any emergency situation gets uh, out of the rails of life. So the effects is, is not only how they live or what we, what, what the, the fear it is. It, it has so, so many repercussions. And just imagine all the internalized oppression and fear uh, in the life of these people. <clears throat> what is the role of the church, as I asked um, before? What can the diocese do? What can the church do? As an institution, we've made the resolutions. We've had the convention discussions. We know where the presiding bishop stands. We know where you stand. What can the church do? Well, the church at large um, has the Office of Government Relations in uh, Washington, D.C., and they work directly with the legislature there. Locally speaking, what I believe the diocese can do and the churches should be up to is informing people, um, helping to educate them and give them resources in order that they can speak knowledgeably. Um, just And not just for the people who might be threatened by um, ICE, but rather for themselves to in order that they know um, what what to counsel a friend or what to do with a friend, and also to be involved actively here in Utah um, up on the hill uh, with the legislature here, um, to not keep um, to to not be silent during this period of time. So when our legislature comes back together again um, in the coming year and as we move forward, then I think it's important that our people write letters, show up for testimony, uh, and do the things that I think responsible citizens are called upon to do. And most of all, to keep their congregations faithful to what it means to be a Christian who identifies as an Episcopalian, that in the church, all people are seen as brothers and sisters of Christ, made in God's image, and should be received as such and treated as such, respectfully, uh, with great care and compassion, even in the midst of times in which we do not agree. 
I think also one other thing I'd want to point out to when Bishop Curry, presiding bishop, indicates that it is a sacred duty, um, he says this based upon certainly the understanding of the Episcopal Church, which I just mentioned. I also believe, knowing Bishop Curry, that he's also thinking very much about Jesus himself, that he, he sees in this moment in time um, the, the face of Jesus in the people who are being threatened. He sees the face of Jesus in those who are being detained. Um, I, I believe he probably, like, like me, imagines uh, that if Jesus and his, the Holy Family were, be, were coming across the border right now, they would be taken and Jesus himself as a child would be separated from his parents. Uh, imagine what the story of the Gospels would be like if when they fled to Egypt that had happened. Uh, and, and for all we know, for all we know, because we look to the second coming of Jesus and who knows when that will happen and how it happened, but for all we know, maybe the Holy Family has come across. We don't know. To, to me, these are the things which, which um, uh, stay alive in my mind. Um, because I, I am so very fearful at this moment in time and concerned that I think the very soul of the United States of America um, is, being, is being hurt um, and that we as, the, as a nation are experiencing damage um, to our souls which will not go away in a short period of time. This is going to be something which will haunt us and live with us probably for a good 30 to 40 years. I did uh, read once uh, years ago um, the way that a person enter into this country is a matter of the government. The way that we treat that person is a matter to all of us. So regardless of where we stand on immigration, in front of us is a human being. Our call, our duty uh, is to treat that person with dignity. Uh, we can debate all that we want, all that we want on immigration laws, uh, the process and everything, but now in front of us there is human beings suffering and our responsibility, our Christian responsibility is to treat those people with, with dignity. Well, it's been a fascinating half hour. It's hard to believe that we've covered a half hour, and uh, it's a subject that hopefully has just stimulated some thoughts that as you've listened to this, that maybe you can talk to your family, talk to others, because that conversation has to start. As the bishop said, um, we can't succumb to this division. And as um, you have all said, it's imperative that the soul of this country is at stake in this. And you have been listening to the Utah Podcopalians, a podcast of the Diocese of Utah that reflects the Episcopal Church in our unique land of Utah where these problems are hitting us right directly between the eyes. I'm Craig Worth of the Diocese and our special guests have been the Right Reverend Scott B. Hayashi and the Reverend Canon Dr. Pablo Ramos. Thanks for listening.